This is EdTech Weekly. On today's show, we'll talk about a Tinder-like tutoring app, give some publicity to the 10 EdTech companies you need to know about, Zuckerberg funds a news app for schools, and some suggestions for EdTech piloting. I'm your host, Ricky Zager, and joining me once again, as always, my co-host, Mr. Matt Harrison. Matt, have you recovered from Thanksgiving yet? Yes. Um, it was an eventful day full of bird eating, bread eating, bread in multiple forms. And I believe that there were also some vegetables that were taken hostage. Well, Matt, you make Thanksgiving sound like just amazing. I, I'm, I wish I could have been with you for Thanksgiving. That sounds pretty awesome. Well, it was delightful. Well, Out excellent, Matt. Without further ado, Matt, let's get to the EdTech news of the week. In our first story, Penn State EdTech Network, we've heard that before, hosted a Hack PSU Challenge. The competition was designed to have students think of a problem that they have had in higher education and come up with a technology-based solution. A team from Penn State Berks won the competition by creating an app named Study. With two E's, though, Matt. Very tricky. No Y on the end there. Study with two E's. The concept of this app is to connect students with tutors in more obscure topics. They mentioned PHP, HTML, um, and even Chinese uh, language. Areas that the university itself doesn't really support with their own tutoring services. Um, The app will be tested at PSU, and hopefully it'll spread to other universities if this is something that students use and it makes sense for them. It definitely sounds interesting to me to kind of connect... You know there's going to be people on that campus that know how to help you with PHP and HTML, um, but can you find them? And then the other thing that's going to have to make this work is, do those people actually want to be called upon to help? You know, So there's a couple of things they have to figure out there. But there's two things here, Matt. We do have the Penn State EdTech Network fulfilling their mission. Remember, they were the ones that were trying to figure out how to disrupt the way EdTech companies work with universities, or, or maybe not disrupt, maybe that's the wrong word, but make, make that you know, a more harmonious relationship. And then we also had a similar concept um, math tutoring app that was developed by a young girl to get students some anonymous help. So kind of some similarities there. Any thoughts um, for you, Matt, on this? No, I think the whole program itself is really, really cool. Uh, Allows students, it almost sounds, uh, there was something that was coming out of Tampa or it was going from Tampa to South by Southwest. And it was like a, compression box or something like that and it was a bunch of people that were all entrepreneurs from this area that went and developed ideas and this seems to be similar to that where you get a bunch of students i mean if you and i are in the same classes and we kind of know what you know troubles there are what you know pitfalls may be around the corner uh, we're able to kind of develop ideas that can fix that so something like study seems like one pretty rad way of combating a lot of that stuff, um, especially if you're able to get engagement from both sides of it. You may have a lot of students that are into PHP and HTML, almost similar to the subreddit learning programming. You have a lot of people who are interested in teaching you um, and taking on uh, people to help. Uh, so it seems like a win-win on both sides. I am interested to find out, uh, is it Mandarin or Cantonese um, that they're that they're I did not look that deeply into it, Matt. I apologize. So we'll just, I'm going to just assume that it's Mandarin, but I sh- I, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe it's both, Matt. Maybe it's both. I, I think really what you hit on is is the key here. You know, can they develop a community 
such as Reddit or some of the other communities that have popped up online where people help each other, GitHub, where people post things to help each other. And, you know, you have that give and take, and that's kind of the key there. And I think we're going to talk about this in in a story later on uh, in this show, but it really comes down to, you know, you're getting the perspective of the students to help solve a problem. And, you know, educators, um, a lot of, you know, people in edge, even those who are of us who are in educational technology, we think we see the problem. We think we know how to solve the problem, but, you know, we really need to be getting more feedback from students on what the issues are and how to solve them because they're in it. And even though we think we're in it, we're really not in it in the same way. Yeah, All right. No, that's... Something like the, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're good. Go ahead. It, it democratizes the whole process. I mean, if all of a sudden, let's say that PSU starts having, you know, 10,000 kids that are clamoring for PHP help, um, perhaps they should, you know, do a, they can learn from that and see, hey, we need more classes. Not only do we need to have more classes, but if we already have PHP or coding classes, maybe we need to start implementing a lot of these teaching methods to, to start doing that. Yeah, and more support, more support for that kind of stuff too. If if the students want it, then that's I mean the, the university, let's be honest, students are paying, so they're customers and you know, if they need that support, then they should have it. So this could be I'm interested to see where this goes. Our next story is a Forbes article and it reports on the 10 10 edtech companies that you need to know about. First on the list is Udemy, an online learning site. We talked about that last uh, last show, Matt. It's you know it's basically influencing the way online education is being done, and probably the way it's going to be done in the future as well. I don't know if it's taking over universities, but you know that's a discussion for another day. Um, number two on that list, I thought was really interesting. It's called Andela, I believe is the way you pronounce it, and it offers intensive programming courses, but only for those in Kenya and Nigeria. It's very competitive to get into that program. And those who graduate, it sounded like, based on the article, that they automatically get coding jobs with American companies when they come out of that. It's That's a very interesting thing. I mean, they're, they're giving opportunity, but they're not opening it up to everybody. I'm not really sure how I feel about that, Matt. But I, I do. do you take any exception with the fact that they're telling us which 10 that we need to know about? Or do you feel like this is, is an okay way of sort of introducing these companies? Well... It's, I'm of two minds. One, um, I think it's great to give a lot of these uh, startups, you know, some a moment in the sun. Um, I'm confused by number six, story two. Um, it's just so odd to me that of the ten that are out there, and and maybe he's just chronicling, you know, the ten and stratifying it across the board. Who knows? Um, but this is an. It helps you write essays for. Um, college admissions and it just seems like a very odd odd thing to select um i don't remember the college admissions essay portion uh being the most difficult um so it's just it just seems weird that they took something that was in book form and then developed an app around it i mean who knows maybe it's the most brilliant app and there's a million other things that it could possibly go ahead and do um just that just seems odd to me. I don't know. I, I I think I got hung up on that one, and after that, every all seven, eight, nine, and ten all seemed like blurs. Everything else looked bad after that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I do know, and I've you know working in higher education, I do know that I've 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 been in conversations actually pretty fairly recently about this type of a subject about the whole concept of the writing the essays, and it really has become high stakes in some ways because you're trying to separate yourself any way you can anymore um you know so many there's so many people applying and so many have 
very good grades and so many have all these extracurricular activities and they, they do all these form things that you pretty much just check a box and they have it all. So it's a way to stand out. And I know that some people get other people to help them write it and come up with different ways of doing it. So, you know, if this can can reduce some anxiety, maybe. But what what scares me about that is it sounds like we're just making this another the essay is another checkbox. You know what I mean? It's like it's just, an, you know, how are they evaluating these students coming in? They're looking at a checkbox scenario like extracurricular. Yes, no, all that. And if you have all that and then if you have an essay that starts to mirror that as well, it does give me some some pause for concern there because how are we giving these students a chance to, you know, separate themselves and give them it's just the whole application process, I think, could be revamped. Yeah, I think that that's probably the bigger part of it is that it does need to be revamped. I, I, I guess I don't know. I, I will two story two. Um, I will look more into your app. I know that you probably you're like, oh, this Matt kid, he doesn't like my my app and that's going to be the death of it. It's never going to be on your radar, uh, but I'll look into it. Um, it almost, I, I don't know, I guess just the way that he kind of explains it in the article, it seems like a Mad Libs, like hey, insert this year. And that, that bothers me. And it bothers me. That's on a list of 10 top things. Yeah. It's a short, a lot of short snippets and don't really, they don't really go into full detail on a lot of them. I think it's really just more to create some buzz for, you know, I don't, I don't know why Udemy at this point needs a buzz, but I, I think, you know, you, you start putting when you're creating these posts and you start putting some of these business names in there, you're start, you know, you're, you're, you're filling a blog post and it, it gets some clicks and it, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to just say it's only clickbait type of a story, but anytime you see these top 10 or the 10 things you need to know, or, you know, it, it really kind of smells like clickbait, but it is interesting to look at some of them and, Again, um, I know that EdTech Weekly is becoming a powerful force, so um, we have to be very careful, Matt, how we talk about story two. We don't want to influence too much with our um, considerable power. (laughs) Yeah, we could totally crush them. (laughs) All right, Matt, let's get on to our next story. Exconomy reports that Newzella is trying to turn millennials into news junkies. Newzella is trying to tackle the problem of a generation that basically gets their news in small snippets from social media and is increasingly bombarded with clickbait. We've all been there. Um, Their concept is to write multiple versions um, and maybe a little bit of format changes to some news stories in order to cater to the consumption habits and also reading levels of the millennials. They have just secured a $15 million round of funding that included Mark Zuckerberg and these stories are sort of tailored to be in the interest of younger people. It seems like they're trying to help create an emotional connection to the stories. So they're putting some work in to sort of make it relevant to that age. Um, you know, it worries me a little bit because I've had some experience with, um, you know, World Book Online and they've tried to level their stories, but it really didn't come out very well. In fact, it just seemed like they just took out words they didn't really change the difficulty they just made the number of words smaller so if that's what this is and i don't think it is based on what i read but it is something that definitely needs to be sort of looked at and and is this sort of structure a good idea what are your thoughts on this matt um i think it'd be a great idea uh, to capture more engagement but what is the actual issue that they're tackling i know that there's a couple of different things that they're doing here um they mentioned clickbait pretty early on. It just makes me feel like they're 
masking clickbait and turning it into some other advertising, which is completely fine, and that's the model that everything's going towards anywhere. Um, on another level, it looks like they're taking a tiered approach to language skills, but what are they doing to then raise that skill? And if they're going after millennials, then I would assume that there's an educational bumper to that as well. And if that's the case, if you dumb everything down, are we making people read at higher levels and learn how to read at higher levels? I, I just have more questions than answers. Um, yeah, and you're not alone on that. And this is something that I, I know that, that at least some areas of the K-12 community have been dealing with. Um, there's a lot of leveling. And, and the way that they do it, you know, theoretically in the K-12 environment is, you know, you you level up. You know, you you pass the test or you complete the subjective and you move forward. Um, I'm still not sure that that's even the best way to do things, but that's kind of a different issue. But for the news, aren't the students just going to read the one that's easier and not try to progress? Like, I mean, you know, I, I don't really understand how they're leveling that. Like, I get that they're making an easier read, but if it's easy for you to read why are you going to then just automatically try to get to the next higher level? I, I realize it's it seems like it's being put into education, so maybe they're, you know, have a setup that helps them do that. But I, I almost feel like in some ways you're going lowest common denominator here. I mean, and getting kids interested in news, I think if that's their only, if that's truly what their objective is, then I don't mind it. But if they're trying to say that they're going to help education by doing this, I'm very leery and very skeptical of it. Well, it also reminds me of uh, what was happening with Facebook a while ago, and it's still going on today where it's one of those, you know, you can pick and choose the things that are sort of brought to you in your feed so it can um, speak to you in terms that you want. So looking from a political bend, if you don't like things that are liberal, then you can move all those out and have only things that you believe on if you have if you're a conservative um, and it just sort of reaffirms your own viewpoint um, I'd be afraid if you know someone had difficulty reading at a certain age and then a everything around them was catered uh, to that level and they never really progressed um, for me as someone who studied literature in college um, when I was in high school, I remember reading a bunch of middle school, reading all the Goosebumps books. And then when, you know, you got older, you got to read the other books. And then when I was in high school, I read Stephen King's It. I mean, it scarred the crap out of me. But, you know, it, there was a much <laughs> there was a much bigger drive to actually understand and then level up through all of those things. And are we creating a level playing field or are we then taking the tiered approach and then really just creating another tiered um, society. That's probably a bad way of putting it, but I mean, you can you can wall yourself off from all these other great things because you're you're in a viewpoint that affirms everything that you have. Yeah, I, I understand exactly where you're going with it, and I think that is that is the fear here is that this is going to create less you know, desire to improve your reading skills and more, oh, finally, uh, something I can understand and I don't have to worry about getting better. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know. We'll just have to see how that goes. But it is something to, to take a look at. And again, you know, this is that confluence of ed tech, you know, money and schools and trying to say that this is going to solve a problem. Well, they're, I think, serving two masters here. You know, they're not just looking out for students reading. They're trying to figure out ways to get more people to click on to news stories and to make money. And that's, I mean, that's, it's a little bit scary from that side to me. Oh yeah. Monetizing is, I mean, the, 
actually each and every one of the stories on this is in my mind well maybe not the last one but this one um and the two previous it just bleeds monetization to me like it just yeah. reads that and yeah the psu thing if you have students that create a wonderful app for you you in a second can monetize that and there's responsible monetization and then there's there's just bleeding it dry and well and what and what are the students ownership over that too you know yeah. is this in you know that could that, that's always a, an opportunity as well but you know I, I think at the end of the day we're seeing this in the news right matt we're seeing a lot of funding a lot of money multi-billions of dollars going into the ed tech market and I, and I just think that's that's why we're seeing that bleed over into these stories because that's sort of becoming a driving force. Yeah. Well, let's get to our let's get to our final story, Matt. Um, with and this one is more of maybe a little more of refreshing and maybe not so much about the money here. Um, it's an Education Week story and it reports on a study that got some information about how districts run ed tech pilots. And as an educator and as somebody who worked in K twelve and now in higher education. This is something that is does really needs to be looked at, and there really needs to be some solid structure here for schools and for districts to look at. This study took a few school districts and looked at how they collect information about ed tech pilot programs. They found that there was some some very very serious shortages of evaluations that were collected in a formal way. Um, they mentioned that one of the problems with how they measure success of these pilots is that. A lot of times it's through standardized testing and that data is not available usually in time for them to make that purchasing decision. So they're going in on this like sort of faith that this is going to work. And then if the first time that data comes, it doesn't work, then they drop it and they move on. So it's just not a good situation. Um, this study to me kind of emphasizes just how bad that process is of adding new ed tech to schools. Um, they do make a couple of recommendations based on this data and a few of the ones that I'm just going to bring out here is one of them is that they say the ideas put forward by teachers and students should be incorporated throughout the process to create buy-in for the product. So to me, that means pre the trial or the you know, pilot during and then post the pilot so that you have that front to back, beginning to end sort of buy-in. Um, the next one is plans to evaluate products and plans for what will occur after the pilot should be conveyed to all parties. So if keeping people informed of what's going on. And then finally, um, a point person should be assigned to deal with tech issues and other problems that emerge. And I'm, I'm thinking of that, and I can't remember the school district in California that we talked about a couple weeks ago, but I'm wondering with some of their tech issues, did they have a point person did they have the pre-pilot stage or did they even do a pilot stage and did they get recommendations and data? I mean, too often these suggestions, Matt, just aren't talked about because most people when they discuss this go, hey, this makes, it's pretty, it's common sense. Most people are going to, you think most people are going to do this, but they're not, Matt. And it's pretty uncommon from what we're seeing and what we're hearing in the news. Um, any parts or suggestions in this that stand out to you, Matt, or you found interesting? Um I just I it it's mind boggling to me that um, my my niece plays Candy Crush and I can't have everybody in school play that because they like it. <laughs> no, it just it's deployment modeling. How does it work? I mean, it the article actually what I really want to say is EdTech or EdWeek.org stop stealing my thunder um, because this is exactly how how it should be done. I mean, 
they need to be looking, schools and school districts need to be looking at all of these different things. Um, if, if you're using, um, you know, testing as one of the metrics um, or a, a major metric for whether or not you need to be making purchases for certain types of technology, then I, that just seems completely bonkers to me. And I have nothing to do with education. So, I mean, I most likely could be incorrect about it, but that just seems like, that seems like a crazy, crazy thing because standardized testing. <laughs> you're a thousand percent right, Matt, because what happens is you're, you're basing criteria for whether this is successful on something that is not what this technology is made for. This technology, generally speaking, ed technology is supposed to be helping students create and become more engaged and more part of the curriculum. The standardized testing is not a component of that. Now, of course, if it's a successful program, you could assume that students would do better, but that's not necessarily the case because there could be a fault in the standardized testing. There most likely is. I mean, it really is a product of systems that have been in place for a long period of time, not really working together well and not helping each other out to solve problems. Well, and you just, what if you're doing it for if standardized testing is one of the data points, where does that fall in line with it? And what is the metric that you're using to define how well standardized testing? Like I just, it just seems crazy to me. And then to know that teachers don't have input. And I know that you've told me stories and it all just seems pretty crazy to me because if I walked into a business and I expected them to spend money, I would do everything as I could as a vendor to have everybody in that office, you know, on, on the up and up with my product and know that it's going to help them because I need their help as much as they want my product to sell. Them. And you know, it's really, it's really funny that you say that, Matt, because I've, when I was in K-12, I was a part of multiple meetings and times where discussions were had about what type of support the, you know, ed tech solution we were getting was going to offer. And more often than not, it's none. It's like zero. And I just, it seems to me like the ed tech companies would benefit greatly from just even if they employed something like that, like, hey, give free training, whatever, you know what I mean? But they're getting people to buy it without that. And, and to me, without the resources, and I mean, we've, we've talked about this, Matt, you and I have had this conversation. And one of the reasons why you said, you know, it seems like they're stealing your thunder. You know, you have, you have recently reached out to me and talked about, you know, is there a deployment model? Is there something that is out there that people can look to and use and can know the way to go about this? And I, I don't think that there is based on my experience. I'm not saying that there's not, and I'm not saying that some districts don't do it great because I'm sure they do. Um, and some school systems and all that. But at the end of the day, you know, all of these ideas that they are saying they're making recommendations on, this is data point recommendations. Like they're just looking at data and saying, you're not doing this, you're not doing this. I mean, that's like the most basic form to me of saying what your model should be. Like there's so much more than that that's important. And it seems like they're missing the very easy to tell data point key you know, suggestion areas that you would think everyone would be doing. Yeah, no, over and over in these stories, it just seems that it's all out of the window, that there's a a key holder and they don't have to answer to anybody. And I expect that in a small startup company where you go into the CEO's office and you put your feet up on the desk and say, I'm going to sell you 15 iPads. 
I don't expect that to happen when somebody walks into the office, puts their feet up on your desk and say, hey, how about 10,000 smart boards? Yeah, it's, you know, and it's easy to make generalizations about things, too. And I, I know that there's there's good that happens. And, but I think in my experience and from what we see in these news stories, Matt, it just doesn't seem like a lot of people. I mean, the fact that their study showed that people aren't even getting actual recorded data about like the user experience from teachers, from students, like they're not even putting those things down. So how do they keep track of that? Like, how can you say it's successful or you should do it if you're not even making any sort of record of that? So it's, it's frightening that how fast this stuff is happening and how little planning is going into it sometimes as we've seen in these stories. Yeah. Well, but I was going to say one more thing. If I were a company and I read this article, I would be the first company to put together a metric that got every person who got one of those in their hands to make sure that you follow up with them and you get that data point. Because if you can prove that you're having success in schools, you don't have a hard sell anymore. You have a product that means a lot. And I that's I think the businesses, the businesses themselves are dropping a huge, huge amount of money and leaving it on the table by not proving that they're successful. And maybe that's part of the reason why they're not doing it is because they don't think they can be, and it's just a cash grab. You know what? I don't even think it's that, Matt. I, I think what it is at the end of the day is they don't need to do it to sell it. Yeah, they it's a cash grab. Been, they haven't been pressed to do it, so why are they going to spend the money to put all that data together when they're able to get contracts and get people to spend money without it? You know, I mean, again... Not everyone, not every ed tech company, but unless we start, you know, as an educational community, start really holding them to these things and making them show us, you know, deployment models and getting to support us with these things, you know, we have to put some of that on them. We can't put this all on our teachers and all on our staff that's already overtaxed with what they're doing. You know, this is why so many things don't aren't successful, Matt. The teachers aren't trained properly. Um, people aren't ready for it. The students don't know what it is. There's no buy-in. I mean, all of these things that they've they've listed and suggested, it seems like a no-brainer that it should all be done, but it's not. And it, it does sort of make me sad. And I'm hoping that at least maybe some of these stories and some of these studies start to change that. All right, Matt. Another show in the books. This is episode 25. We're a quarter of the way to 100 episodes. Can you believe it? We're also 1% of the way to another number. <laughs> this is true. We're, we're always going to be 1% away from another number. All right, Matt. If people want more information about the stories we talked about today, we'll put the links to the show notes, and we'll put show notes in there, edtechweeklyshow.com. Check it out. You can follow me on Twitter, at 4TechTeachers. That's the number 4TechTeachers. Just post some news stories and some other interesting educational technology things that are going on. You can email the show, edtechweekly at gmail.com. Give us some feedback. Let us know what's going on. Just let us know you're out there. We've had a couple people, so we know there's a couple of people out there listening, but we'd love to know there's more. It gives us a little extra motivation to you know, work a little bit harder on the script and get the, to, the news ready for you guys. Um, you can call and leave a voicemail at Matt's home phone number. That's 305-92-TECH2. I don't know why you chose that number, Matt. That's kind of odd. 305-92-TECH2. It just That's rolls the show number. off the tongue. It really does. We've talked about it numerous times. All right, we have had our first voicemail. We haven't had our second, so we will play that as well. So get it on there and leave us a message, and we will play that on the show. Again, Matt has said we will we will play advertising. So if you want to do a little advertisement, we'll play it. Call us, 305-92-TECH2. 
And don't forget edtechweekly.reddit.com. Post some links there and resources. We put uh, show uh, links in there and some other edtech links in there. We've had a couple. Uh, we got like 16 or 17 um, followers or whatever it's called. I'm, I'm not a Reddit guy. So we've got some people in there. Be a little more active. Post some stuff. We'll talk about the stories. And, uh, you know, be on there and start building a, a good edtech community. We'd appreciate that. Matt, it's time to go. Well, Anything I have, like? yes, I have one thing I want to add. If you call in with an advertisement, I will sing a jingle for you if you don't have one. Um, and will you let them use it? Yeah, I don't care. And you won't, well, list people, this is important. 30592-TECH2, call it. It could change your life. Yeah, I could get you billions and billions of dollars and you won't have to give me a dime. Or billions and billions of headaches, maybe. But it's billions of something. Well, hey, everything is a billion of something. (laughs) All right, Matt. Well, we'll see you all next time on EdTech Weekly.